going welcome to movie night extravaganza and we're here with a dudes rock panel uh talking about roadhouse patrick swayze bar life bouncers um i'm here as always with jay andrew world with the hair like sam elliott you do kind of have that hair going on kind of kind of but i always thought you'd be bigger <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said Oh, Get it out of your systems, boys. <laughs> See, that would have been a perfect line when they're like when they're banging up against the wall for her to be like, "I thought, you, I thought you." <laughs> <laughs> All right, Conan Neutron is here. Tonic reversal. Conan Neutron, and the Secret Friends. You know, always, always, always killing it. We're double streaming to Conan's Twitch account, which. Uh, you know, if if you're not uh, if you're not following that one, you should too, because Tonic reversal has just started uh, streaming from there too. Running a train on Twitch. Yeah, very, 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 very recent. Right now, all all ten of my Twitch followers are delighted to hear this. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, the left's most canceled podcaster, Kenzo Shibata. Okay. Chicago's most dangerous, <laughs> most dangerous podcast. <laughs> and I got I got to show you guys this. Pain. Yeah, you got the pain. Don't you know, hurt. Damn. <laughs> Commitment. <laughs> To the bit. <laughs> I mean, I was meaning to do this for a while, and then I like I have to do it before the stream. 
I, I was gonna say it's it's an honor to the show that you chose to do it in time for the stream. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody set credit. themselves for a show uh, that I've been on, so this is kind of awesome. <laughs> you guys so you can you have guys it into remember... any any Roadhouse show, just like Rocket from the Crypt now. Do you guys remember when uh somebody someone at one point got a Michael Brooks tattoo? They got Michael Brooks on mm. on on them, but it was and it was when he was still alive. So he got the like the opportunity to look to look at like someone's and he was like he was like oh I, I wish you hadn't done that but like it's I, it's pretty cool to. <laughs> to <get that. laughs> I, I mentioned that bit with Chris Murphy right that Rock from the Crypt had that thing if you get the tattoo you get into the shows for free but they eventually yeah. cut that out because too many people did it's cool. <laughs> All right, well, Kenzo kind of overshadowed it, but we have Jake Flores. Oh, I got a Jake um, Flores tattoo. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you get to listen to my podcast for free if you have a Jake Flores tattoo. Nice. I don't host have to of, download it off Reddit then. Host of Pod <laughs> America and uh, Why You Mad Pod. And What's up, me hoes? <laughs> That's, See, I, I expected, say that pretty I expected uh, Andy to do that with his, with his hair like that. We're all Sam Elliott today, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which Sam People Elliott are you today? And just take like the panel, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't find it to to download it, but the other day there was a um someone had a Sam Elliott AI where they got an AI to sound like him, and they would just like type stuff in. <laughs> and that's pretty fun. But it was like, but they just put a bunch of like random like Trump, MAGA, something, some like they made it like so they made it like the conservative boomer one of him. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not what that dude is. I mean, that dude, no. like, you know, he's a pretty. It's not like he's exactly, uh, you know, uh, avant leftist or anything. But I mean, he did like commercials for Biden and stuff like that. He's a pretty outspoken, like, you know, old school Democrat. Boomers so love shit like that because they yeah. literally can't get the people they like to say the things mm -hmm. that they think. Even like, <laughs> and and when they he's can, alive. <laughs> When, when they can, they're screaming. John Boyd. That's so. about it. Just John Boyd. Yeah. 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 No, they, they got, got like they got two. they got Clint Eastwood, but he's screaming at a chair at the uh the RNC. And that was like, you know, that was like the height of that was the height of like boomer boomer uh boomers realizing that they can't really get any celebrities to to endorse their politics. Because they couldn't they couldn't hire a Chinese person for him to yell at. They just got a chair. <laughs> That what was that movie, oh, Grand Torino, where he just yells, yeah. kills Chinese people or Asian people? No, they're yeah. his. Well, he's killing some of the some of the Asians. He's <laughs> killing, but then he has the neighbors. So he's like both white savior and oh. racist guy. Uh, you know, like fucking with uh with a bunch of uh, triads. That's like yeah. that's like the, the duality of it's the duality of man according the, to Clint Eastwood. The There's a restaurant good. in Williamsburg here in Brooklyn just called Grand Torino. It's very <laughs> weird. Big neon sign outside of it. Was it before or after the movie came out that it opened up? Long after, <laughs> well after it became a meme. Big fans, I guess. Racist. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think. Puzzling yeah, choice. Maybe it's like a Jekyll and Hyde's restaurant type of thing where you go in and they're all the waiters dressed like Clint Eastwood and he calls you all the slurs and stuff. <laughs> well, uh, well, originally, like for originally it was probably it was probably called like uh, Dirty Harry's, but you know, we got a little bit that that had the that had the health inspectors coming in a little bit too much. Right, right. called slurs. That's not true. <laughs> a good name for a bar though. i think uh james woods is a very online dude who's like kind of oh yeah the Trump train, right? he blocked me before i gave up my twitter oh yeah 
Well, the the James Woods thing is he's a lot like one of his like sleazy pimp characters, like in uh yeah, in in, you know. in Casino. You know what I mean? Like he he plays that he plays her fucking um like her boyfriend that she's like Lester or whatever. She play, he plays him so well, and it's like yeah, that's what this guy's definitely like in real life, and that's why his politics are so fucking weird and creepy. Like <laughs> it, it's not like uh you know um Mr. Thespian. How can I go on without a finger? It's called acting. <laughs> acting. Anyway, so we covered all that. Is there anything left on the show, or are we going to close it out? No, nope, that's right. it. All right. Yeah, I'm just going to work. That's so, it. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> all right. So, Roadhouse. Let's talk about it. Patrick Swayze. You know, I wish he was. I wish he was still here. That you know, he had a. So, let, let putting it into context, I guess, and I think this movie should be put into um, year year pop culture context. Because uh, it's two years after um, Dirty Dancing comes out. And, you know, Patrick Swayze has given up his, his dancing career um, to become an actor and really wants to embrace the acting life. But nobody, nobody takes him seriously. And it's this whole struggle for him on his ranch. And, um, you know, so he ends up trying to uh, get involved in, in movies. And then finally, Dirty Dancing becomes a success. But it's, but it's, but it's a movie that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a dancer. Um, so... You know, so he's kind of stuck in this space where even when he's when he's acting, even when he's like at his most popular, he's still a, a dancer on screen. So enter Roadhouse as like the first action movie that you know anyone will accept. Let's Patrick Swayze. Take, as. take it back, take it back. He was in uh, Steel Dawn, where he was a post-apocalyptic oh, right. future movie uh, that came out, um, I think, a year or two before Roadhouse did. So, so it was a. I think it was a flop, if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have my, uh, my 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 box office numbers. I'm not like uh, uh, Jer, you know, with, with, uh, pulling out IMDb facts about about obscure Patrick Swayze movies. But but uh, he he was in the milieu. Uh, so so this wasn't completely out of the blue at the time. Yeah. Well, it's also um, you know, uh, Rowdy Harrington, the, the director. It's also his first his first Rowdy. Movie. His, I think it's Rowdy. his second movie, his first studio movie that's ever come out. And he, any relation to Michael Harrington, the socialist? Yeah, Rowdy Harrington is the founder of the DSA. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people don't. Know I that. want that to be true so bad. <laughs> the first, the first five people in the DSA were really rowdy for the first thirty years of it, and then yeah. <laughs> they had to bring in the cooler, and that was. Um, Michael Harrington. Uh, yeah, this is Michael Harrington. Okay. <laughs> and then we have a of uh, graduate students who uh, get only reason why I know that, Jake, is because I just did a cover of a, a book about Michael Harrington. So wild. I was gonna say that yeah. you had that right at the ready, and I was very surprised. I was like, wow. Yeah, no, it was it's all because I just did a cover. So you know, well, I'm not that smart at all. To, uh, Wait, that's not really his brother, ever. though. <laughs> Isn't it? Do the research. No, that's, <laughs> do your own research that's not really his brother right that's it was a joke i'm i'm losing my know. mind I, no, okay. I don't know if i uncovered the truth of the bit which happens sometimes yeah exactly that's how this show goes okay but uh no i but no because michael harrington's a lot older than rowdy harrington was anyway michael right. harrington okay. was like already like in his 50s when you know when he when he's because he had a I forget what the book's called but he had a book that that got really famous and the other America were like, yeah the other America yeah exactly and Rowdy Harrington wrote that <laughs> yeah the DSA was invented by Kit Harrington John Snow from the hit series Game of Thrones <laughs> little known fact started yeah. young lots of people are talking about it 
<laughs> We're talking about a more, um, more. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's his first movie, Rowdy Harrington, classic DSA story. He's worked his way up, <laughs> worked his way up from the from from being a, a gaffer yeah. and, a, and a lighting a lighting expert into being a, a director, and finally makes a studio film, and it's this. And I feel like it was both praised and panned. Um, I, I don't think that this is necessarily the most popular movie with the critics when it came out, but um, I, I, you know, it, it has attained like a, a form of cult status. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre movie, but I think I think it has because it's fun. Ultimately, it's bizarre. It doesn't. It hardly makes any sense at all uh, as a narrative structure. Uh, I guess uh, you know that's. That's a thing. It's a fun movie. If it wasn't fun, it wouldn't have lasted. It wouldn't be a multi-generational thing where people are like, oh, this is great. This is ridiculous, but this is great. I've been watching a lot of old movies lately, and there is something bizarre about the like the the nature of acting and film in that it progresses together as one big zeitgeist. And like there's this if you watch movies that are old enough, you just kind of go. Wow, people didn't used to know how to act like at all. Like it's weird. It developed, the cameras developed, and then movies kind of got into a little bit more of the uh, like the headspace that we're in now. When I was watching this, in the context of watching a bunch of other like '80s and '90s cult movies like this, I gotta say, Roadhouse, the acting is not bad, yeah. and like yeah. the lighting and stuff, all the neon and stuff, the camera work, it's not actually a bad film. It's weird and it's yeah. Bizarre, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I think you're right. Something probably happening in editing or something where, like, me personally, I uh, had to read the plot to kind of get where everything was going because I wasn't. I was like on my phone and stuff. But like, I've watched this movie and probably never watched it sober. And th there's a lot of other factors going on here. But I always <laughs> lose the thread. Like ah, three quarters into the way way to the movie, I'm always like. Why is there a monster truck now? Like it goes <laughs> off the rails. 1989, man. I, I mean, like, like I was a kid when this movie came out. This was like everything. Because back then they made rated R movies for like 10-year-olds. Yeah. And I, I can't explain this, but like because because it makes no sense why they would do such a thing. But like, you know, I guess the cocaine was really good back then. You know, we're not just getting we're not getting the best that they used to the CIA used to send up. <laughs> yeah well, this, is, and this is also this is this is 1989 i feel like maybe somebody found like the, the last of their stash and they're like listen the 80s are almost over we, we have to edit this shit let's let's, go, let's do this cocaine right this now is also the era of like the hard pg film like if you took out yeah. some of this if you took out the sex and some of the violence in this film it could have been pg in the 80s that's true. like pg got you know well yeah that's because that pg-13 wasn't was. invented for a while so yeah. so remember like half of the '80s, there was no PG-13. Um, but look at we're, the, we're also we're we're in the era of PG-13 now, right? Like yeah, we, yeah, we were talking about this shit. with uh, with Showgirls um, when when they got the NC-17 rating. You know, um, th like I think uh, PG-13 is really what like directors aspire to. Like they don't want our movies. Our movies can come out on streaming services. Our movies can come out in other in other contexts. But like movie theater films, they want them to be you know as many people as possible coming into yeah. it. So we're kind of in the weird era of like PG-13, like we'll, we'll throw a little adult shit in there, but also like every movie has to be made for teenagers. <laughs> they, they must have just realized at some point in producing this that like they weren't going to get that PG thing because there's no way to make a movie about bars without there being 
all of this gratuitous stuff with like sex and drugs and knives and stuff and so like maybe that's kind of what saved this because like it doesn't seem like they attempted nothing seems like it it uh suffered from a, a studio you know note coming in and going can you stab him in the this and not this <laughs> like they fucking went for it and it's that's why it's like a shining example of something this movie is something and i think you're right to point this out that it's like a uh, uh, r-rated movie for kids but it's the reason it's it's I feel like it seems like it's for kids and it seems kind of hokey it's because the 80s were all about movies that I, that centered around either an occupation or a hobby that somehow saves a town. That was like the formula <laughs> yeah. for or every movie. In every episode of the A-Team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was like skateboarding movies and then arm wrestling movies and all these different trends. And this one just happens to be a really bizarre like plug thing to plug into that formula, which is Bouncer, which is like not a thing that they present it as if it's like there are bouncers that like mentor other bouncers <laughs> and stuff like that. Not a thing at all, but it and does. You can call and you can call that bouncer, and he can drop everything and just show up in the town and yeah. be like, and be like, "I'm the bouncer too now." Yeah, and, like they're but like the samurai. company has not hired him. And the company has not. He just shows up. Right. You know what I mean? Like nobody's hired him to be there. He's just there now, and he's and he's also the bouncer. They got this. Which that comes back to my main. Oh, sorry, I can't stop. Go ahead. I was just gonna say instead of closing it down, which would normally would people do, and then reopening it as something else, they he, he was paying the what five hundred bucks a night to uh, Swayze to to fix the bar. Like that part is yeah. so hokey and beautiful. And it's Who in the middle of like rural Missouri, now. right? I mean, it's like like how much money are you pulling in? Because <laughs> I know what it's like to try to get paid out by the bar in the night if the mm-hmm. bouncer's getting paid that much. Holy shit! <laughs> well, he says he says he just came into some money. He's like, I just I just came into some money randomly. I guess somebody died or something. Who knows? And uh, <laughs> it's never explained. Which is well, there's a yeah. lot of stuff so, that Michael is left outside all the money to the bar. Yeah, that's he inherited it. There's a lot of stuff that's left completely outside. Maybe he got cut out of the film or something like that. But that's a good one. Like, where? What? Why is this guy starting this bar? Where'd the money come from? There's another thing at the beginning, which most of these, most of the details in the beginning of the film do get like third act wrapped up and stuff. Like, why? Uh, oh, he killed a guy or whatever. But uh, he says, like, the guy comes to him and says, uh, he comes to his bar in New York and he says, you're the best bouncer in the world or whatever. I want you to come open my bar. It's in Missouri. And then Dalton goes, oh, okay, I'll go there, which is crazy. But then he goes, I don't fly. And this detail yeah. is never explained. <laughs> That's right. He says, yeah, he, never flying, gets into he, it. Says, he says flying is too dangerous, which, I mean, yeah. you know, objectively a funny line considering, like, they're like, listen, you're about to see, you know, Patrick Swayze just kick the shit out of a bunch of people. So, like, it's funny if, if he like doesn't want to get on an airplane because he's risking his life in every other way. So well, I think that's the like only reason why they included that fact. They they wrote well, for Mr. T and they couldn't get him, but they kept the line. Did they really? <laughs> no. Oh, I was going to say. But it sounds plausible, right? <laughs> that would because yeah. I mean that bar I the, the buyer is basically the summation of like that Simpsons bit of the let's fight them's fought in words sort of like interaction, right? Where there's everyone's ready to fight at the drop of a hat. And it's just, it's really hilarious because uh, for a number of reasons, and not the least of which is that, um, you know, when you, when you talk about like, you know, the plot, like it is basically being like, you know, like nonsense. Nobody, it's amazing to me that nobody knew how bouncers work, yet they wrote a script. About like a, a famous bouncer and his famous bouncer friend who mentored him. 
Well, it does Running seem like around. they do know. They do know how bouncers work because the one fat guy who who works for him. The one guy, yeah, the guy that's like played for laughs. Like yeah. he's actually he's the one that actually is the one that's actually <laughs> the most accurate summation of a bouncer in the entire movie. Like, <laughs> they, I, I think I'll give them this, bad, man. They've gotten things worse in films, and I think it probably speaks to the fact that this is about bars, so they maybe did a little bit of research. Although, it's giving Hollywood too much credit at this time, I think. One thing that happens a lot in the 80s is you have movies like, uh, for example, Punchline. Punchline's a movie about stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. I'm a comic. Everybody who does stand-up comedy loves to watch that film and laugh at it because it's insane that they would make a movie about a thing and clearly not research it. Like, for example, in Punchline, there's scenes where there's like Tom Hanks and Sally Fields to stand up and then cut to them after the show in the locker room, having it out and arguing with each other. You know, the locker room that's in the back of a comedy club that we all know. <laughs> that's not a real thing. That's not there. You watch it and you go, why the fuck you didn't research, right? In this movie, like people have gotten it worse. All right. I was literally, I was watching uh fucking, I think it was one of the Friday the 13th movies the other day and like and which i think this guy worked on so maybe this has something to do with this whenever people go up to bars in movies they're always like give me a beer which is fine we all know that's because they can't say brand names and stuff like that so they say give me a beer but then the bartender will hand them like like a rocks glass like a half a glass like yeah. full of beer or not full all the way all these things that don't make any sense Millions of beers get poured all over the fucking country, all over the world every day. Somehow they don't know how to pour a beer. It goes in a pint glass. So uh, I saw one the other day. I'm drinking a beer for this, by the way, because we're talking about Roadhouse. Literally, the guy cracks the beer, and then he, I can't even show you, like, backwards. He drinks it backwards, which is, like, not how you drink anything out of a can. <laughs> Happens all the fucking time. In this movie, it's not that bad. It's, they, yeah, it's not pronounced. Yeah, they're they're yeah. putting their bar towels where they're supposed to be on the right belt loops and stuff, and they're not doing anything ridiculously over actory where they're like washing a glass every scene or whatever. There's some authenticity to it. I'm a little I, you, have to, you have to assume that a lot of a lot of actors that end up being successful were originally working at a bar. Like, but, you know what I mean? Like, pretty much everybody in The Sopranos, if you look at The Sopranos as a show was working at a bar that wasn't like a, a trained actor. So it's like that that is one of the few jobs I feel like that is one of the few jobs that like even if you're like a successful actor you've probably worked. <laughs> but it always What's... seems weird though. Like I mean Jake have you yeah. ever seen a movie like I tour, right? And like same thing. Have you ever seen anyone use a drink ticket in a movie? Cuz I feel like I almost haven't seen that. And like that's yeah, like a pretty common thing, right? But, like 10-year-olds wouldn't get drink tickets. Come on. <laughs> or you just know, like, like have a tab and just go, yeah. I have a tab. Just put it on yeah. my tab. Like, there's yeah. no, it's, I'm always like yelling at the TV, like, how does no one in the room know how this very simple thing happens, you know? And, uh, I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think they get it too bad. I was, I had my eyes out. I was watching for it. My favorite, my favorite tab thing is, is that like someone will go to a bar for the first time and they'll be like, put it on my tab. It's like, cause I had, like, I worked at a bar that did have tab. Like, you could put it on a tab if they knew you. You know yeah. what I mean? Very but like regular or something, right? Yeah. But so you could put it on a tab in that sense. But then um it's it's funny and it's funny in movies when they do that and it's like the person's first time there. You're like they, they kind of just alluded to the fact that this person hasn't been to this bar before. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the tab bit from uh Sarah Silverman, where, where the guy's obsessed with tab cola and wait, that's what we're talking about, right? 
What? And then she makes her world, everybody. Go back yes. to that. Put a uh, tab on my tab. I was watching um, a Norma Ray viewing. It was a DSA movie night thingy. And I ended up sitting with like all the union organizers in the corner. And we're doing this, like speaking of Sally Field and Punchline, like you know, the fucking union organizer goes skinny dipping with the members, which you don't do. Um, gives speechifies. He doesn't listen in to, to the workers. He like speechifies them to get them to go and, and go on strike and whatnot or form the union. And we're just sitting there laughing and like that would get you fired. That would get you fired. That's bad organizing work. Like union organizing movies, Bread and Rose is another one like that are just fucking awful. Like that in that movie too, like the organizer was sleeping with a member. Like you don't do that. You know, you're supposed to be almost invisible and hyping up these members, you know, getting their stories and getting them to advocate for themselves. So yeah, the the employment movies of the 80s were pretty bunk. Yeah. And I guess kind of plays with that line i mean i think they on purpose and like kind of kind of make it so that you know um glenn from walking dead i forget his name and, and sorry to bother you kind of has a more prominent role than he would have otherwise but like you know the fact that he's like the fact that like him and detroit end up like kind of having a thing I, I feel like is is literally just to shoehorn him into the plot but like definitely is not something that would happen if someone actually was going town to town and dedicating their life to union organizing I mean, there are scumbag organizers, but they also are very bad at organizing. Like, you know, if you're sleeping around with members, you're you're causing a lot of drama and they're not they'll, they'll be activists for a little bit. And then, you know, when the dick is not as good uh, or, you know, they they get in a conflict. They, they pivot to being a gigolo. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those people don't last very long or they they skip from town to town. Oh, uh, ah. her words her words <laughs> solidarity am i right all right um yeah but to that point though like about the real the the authenticity of this movie a lot of the details are not bad but the overall premise is what's just glaringly weird this like idea that you can that someone wants to get the best cool like a cooler in this film <laughs> is like the boss of all of the other bouncers of which, of which there, there are, are yes. like a bunch of bouncers <laughs> <a> team. <laughs> yeah i remember i've worked there's like you got bartenders barbacks a door guy who's and they fired the, they fire the main bartender so like who the you know i mean yeah, they've, yeah. they've keith david in like two John scenes. from x they've He's they've a... keith david in two scenes post platoon and post like other big oliver stone roles and somehow he's just in the background and hands somebody like a like something at one point but like, come on, the I, thing. I guess yeah, well, yeah, well, no, he's just, he's he was been in a bunch of John Carpenter movies. He's also in a bunch of Oliver Stone movies, like in a row. Yeah, like no, in that, and in he's fantastic, yeah. and he just completely underused in this movie. Yeah, like, like well, uh, I, I absolutely love him in um, uh, Dead Presidents, where he's like beating that person with his fake leg. <laughs> like, I mean, he's just he's fantastic, and he's in like two scenes, and they just have him. He's like he's like telephone for you or something, and it's like. Huh, you yeah. really you really called in you really called in the heavy hitters on this one. Yeah, he didn't beat anybody with a prosthetic or anything. <laughs> I love like in the 80s how like John Doe was in a bunch of films and Lee Ving from Fear. Like I I I, I love they're always like this kind of film too, like a medium-sized film, but yeah. uh absolutely ridiculous and they get to like overact. Once upon a time in Hollywood meme. Oh John Doe, you know. <laughs> yeah, Clue. Come on, Mr. Body. Mm-hmm. Classic. Who can um, classic role? So the the other thing the other thing that I wanted to point out about um 
when when Patrick Swayze comes into the bar and is like firing everybody. And he's like, oh, we, he's like, he's like, you can't, you can't sell drugs on like when you're on the job. Like we sell alcohol, not drugs. That would never happen. And I mean, in the eighties, maybe, but every, every bar that I've hung around with and, and known the staff at and, or, or even like worked at like, I don't know. That's not like, well, you don't have that as a staff meeting. There's kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of what a bouncer even is in the premise of this film. Like I was just talking about this with somebody the other night. This kind of funny thing going on in New York right now where um, bars are back. They've been back for a while, and uh, all you have to do is show a Vax card. And then because they check Vaxes at the door and stuff, um, every, you don't have to wear masks and stuff. And everybody just kind of parties. It's like fine, right? But um, I had a friend visiting town. And they were like, oh, how's the, how's the Vax thing? Is it Are they stringent? Do they care? And I was telling them, like, look, what is a bouncer, right? What is a door guy? Their job is they don't actually care if you're vaccinated. We're talking about liability here. Their job is to make sure no one gets in trouble if something happens because you legally check the box by showing them a card. They don't give a fuck whether you're selling drugs or anything, really, as long as they can say, well, we did, we did our best, officer, to uh, you know make sure that didn't happen, and then everyone they're off the hook for stuff. So the idea that this, that, that Dalton has this like moral philosophical compass about things like drugs doesn't really make any sense and it also here's another thing it doesn't make it, it also it, it also kind of sucks he's he's i like him in this movie he's like a lot of fun to watch but he's um kind of a narc and he 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 he, he, he narcs on a guy for uh stealing from the cash register because he's working on behalf of our little small business owner who he mm -hmm. thinks is a, not a moral good guy right which I think that sucks, uh, but, you know, sure. Okay, that's the premise of this character. Later on, this dude gets into bar fights. He's smashing people through tables, breaking all sorts of equipment in the bar. He doesn't care about the fucking bar's bottom line. It's, like, absurd. He, he also, no he also um, said he fires the, the original head bouncer guy because he's like, oh, your temperament's wrong. And then the first thing he does is just take the guy's head and smash it into the fucking table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of follow what I say, not what I do. That guy was a wrestler, right? The, the original head bouncer, the black curly hair. Wait, was it? Who was that? I feel I like I've, the, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that guy and stuff before. I thought he was a football player, but but I could be wrong mm -hmm. on that one. Everyone but, in this movie looks like they're background characters in Streets of Rage or something. <laughs> <laughs> they all have uh, head trauma at this point in their lives. If they're still, alive. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that, those haircuts are head trauma. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, look what an average night of this joint is like. You know, I mean, Jesus enough like <laughs> i guess so so what i would say is i i have a defense for why this movie is so weird it's essentially a western and it's a western coming at the end of the the reagan era like the reagan bush era towards the tail end of all of that when you know it seems like governments kind of cut things back to the point where everything's kind of failed you know what i mean like people don't really have you know like uh the reagan economy is kind of crashed it's shown to be bullshit and they're kind of trying to make a western without actually including like you know, like the local sheriff, which is what he would really be. You know what I mean? Like the Patrick mm -hmm. Swayze character is the same thing that in most Western movies, that like the sheriff rides into town. The new sheriff like, oh, comes into town. Sure. Yeah. Totally. So instead of doing that, they're kind of setting it in the saloon and they're having him get hired as the guy taking care of the saloon. But instead of taking care of the saloon, he's like, well, I have this moral compass. I went to NYU. You know, I'm a big shot. Let me just try to clean up this whole town now that I've realized that the bar is kind of the centerpiece of town because um, you know, like the, 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 the guy that owns the town that's bringing JC Penny in or whatever is corrupt and is greedy. 
and I'm going to be on the side of the small, like the, the small business owners that are really small business owners. Uh -huh. So it's kind of, so, but they've kind of run out of things, right? Like they've run out of, it's not like they can't have a sheriff. It's not like the guy in charge of, you know, it's not like a cop. Like it doesn't really make sense to have him be a cowboy. So it's kind of like they take away all these different things. Oh, well, let's just have him be a bouncer. And that's at least someone that gets to fuck people up. Um, you know, well, that's one accurate thing up. though. It's like with a philosophy degree from NYU, you probably are working at a bar. And you know that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> two two things though, real quickly. Uh, one, um, uh, th this is a samurai movie that th is trying to be a western because the westerns don't sell in Japan, and that's what this movie actually is. It's a samurai movie pretending to be a western, but it's actually not. Uh, you know, it's set in modern times in America. Well, there's there's but lots two, of there's a bunch that, of, that those, bunch of those samurai movies. About. A bunch of those that, samurai movies were just revamped as westerns, right? Like yeah. Yeah, so there's a back and forth. Yeah, that, that that dude who who was the bouncer, he's still wrestling, and he was born in 1944. Like like the <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> is still wrestling. Wow. Like, <clears throat> his name well, is Terry Funk. Oh, Terry. Oh, uh, okay. Terry Funk, right? Was that his nickname, Railroad, or something shit like that? Uh let's see here. His dad is Dory Funk Senior. His brother's Dory <laughs> Funk Junior. <laughs> Please, Dory Funk Sr. is my father. <laughs> it's so funny when people are actually named Funk. It sounds like a made-up name. Yeah. Yeah, his whole full name is Terry Defunk. Defunk? Incredible. Okay. Listen, the funk is done. The funk is done. We're going to defunk now. So is he Italian, then? Is the funk it's, Italian? All right. So having nothing to do with that, let's not forget that the, the heavy in this, the, the villain, the one that, you know, the new sheriff Good slash dog. bouncer coming to town is, Ben Gazzara, mm -hmm. who's yeah. a fantastic actor and an actor of some renown and importance, which leads credence to the fact that even though the plot is like, again, as Jake pointed out, like, you know, I've seen this lots of times too. And, you know, sometimes uh, under the influence of an adult beverage or two, you know, and it's fine. It still works. You still get all the broad strokes of it. And, and a lot of it pulls from like hero's journey kind of stuff, but it's, in a, it's just overblown. All of it's completely overblown. Including Ben Gazzara's whole deal, which like it does multiple in multiple ways. It tries to show you what a bad guy he is, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the beginning, what's he doing? He's like driving in the road and like going from the left to the right. He's like, I own this town. I can do what I want. You know, that he just seemed to be drunk driving. I, I took that as in the beginning where he just. I, well, know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like he's just he feels like he has autonomy to do whatever he wants in this town. And that includes like, you know, pushing everyone around like laws only like apply to him. But if he feels like it, I'm going to have lots of huge stuff beasts in my uh, in my lair, you know, so on and so on. Like everyone has to do what I say. Yeah, he's shutting down the recreation center. He's right, the exactly. villain. He's the classic. Every yeah, fucking, this not to get all fucking galaxy brain about it, but the entire time I mean, you're right. I think this is totally a Western. It's totally a cowboy movie. It works really well because these types of jobs are individualist. I it's very gunslingery. You get paid under the table. You have to be an individual. You have to look out for yourselves, but there's a moral compass involved in all this stuff. And that ultimately, you know, the story of like America and the modern world is this thing where the reason these stories resonate so well is because we're trying to make sense of the way society is structured and the heroes have to be like this, like middle class that we were all dreaming that we're a part of. And in order for this, not in order, it, this all this comes unraveled. If you start thinking about like Native Americans and stuff, and, like what's really going on in this town and history going far back enough. But if we're living inside of the American dream, the little bubble, then all of these movies make sense 
because they're a way to separate people that are like, oh, a small business owner, that's good, versus big corporate, no, corporations are bad, you know, because we used to think of those things as like separate from each other and not basically versions of the same thing, which is, yeah. you know, if you're left pilled, you kind of get that. But like most people think small business is good, you know? Yeah. So and that guy, struggle. even even people on the left kind of, it's not left left, but like even like, you know, liberals that, that kind of seem like they're um it seems like they're going in the right direction a lot of times get stuck on the, the small business owner thing so they're like they're like well you know if if corporations get you know if if we focus too much on corporations small business owners are the things saving us from corporations it's like no small business owners are like the fascists that are getting put mm -hmm. front and center by like the republican players. party and by you know people that really want to do the same things that corporations want to do like you know no no fucking minimum wage increases no benefits for workers all of that but they can just kind of shove small business owners out there to be like hey we can't do that i can't afford it yeah, yeah the guy that owns i'm sorry i gotta be i gotta be like i, I guess i'm gonna be pushed into like the the uh libtard democrat asshole but not that's not true for everything and i know and it, the, i think the difference thing between 89 and now is that there wasn't like the there wasn't the ability to tell individual people's stories in the same way it is and be connected to folks that you can see like oh you know this person is like you know abusing their workers in this way and uh, you know maybe it's like a chain of like five coffee shops or whatever like okay for instance collectivo right they finally unionized mm -hmm. but collectivo spent a lot of money bringing in like labor breakers basically like yeah. more money than probably they should have and they ostensibly were seen as one of the good guys. They give money to like sustainable farming. They're very engaged with the community, blah, 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 blah. But when I came to organized labor, of course, you know, hey, you know, call in, the, <laughs> call in the Pinkertons. Not that bad, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I, I have friends that are fucking small business owners. I have friends that are landlords and stuff like that. I mean, these are things that like, it's not an indictment of your individual character. It, yeah. But to tell a story, a story tells something greater than the sum of its parts, right? And so I think the reason that this archetype is happening over and over and over again it's because everyone's trying to work through well what are these dynamics good or evil you know and this is like a feeble attempt i think that that as long as we're trapped in the phase of history we're in we're gonna just kind of continually be telling these stories that try to explain that uh somehow you know the middle class is like heroic and pure in in its dynamics not, not even in your soul you know even, maybe that's a good way of like using metaphorically telling the story or whatever but like i mean that's to jump ahead too hard but at the end of the fucking movie you know the, the town comes together to go like we yeah. collectively don't <laughs> like this fucking mr burns guy who blew through town and he's like uh <laughs> he's fucking up what we're doing here which is inherently good we're in the Bible Belt, or in Missouri, you know, and we're in like the land of the frontier, the land of prosperity and the American dream. We're like, this is good. This was supposed to happen. We're all supposed to start bars out here. And then that fixes everything, right? I don't, a better movie kind of wouldn't be possible, I think. Yeah, it's just well, a uh, byproduct yeah, of the, the time. Classic, the and it is fetishized. That is important to remember. Yeah. Like, this is. This is this is a perfect example of, but it's also like a where are we gonna put it? Well, let's put it at a roadhouse. All right, there's a guy that gets some money. You know, it's like I don't think they thought that hard about it, frankly. I think they were no, just but like, of course not. To... They're artists <laughs> don't think hard, they just feel. I mean, that's that's on them. It's fine. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think that like that's that's I mean, if you think about this, if you think about stuff this way, 
every movie looks like this, which is fine. Yeah. It doesn't make them unenjoyable. A, it just means you don't get a job as a bouncer and they just pop this in the VHS and say, "Here's your training video." Like, it's <laughs> yeah. but like what I want to say is like Ben Gazzara, they his character they found was originally from Chicago, and I think this is my retirement plan: is I'm going to go to some small town and start some rackets. And uh, you're going to you bring Seven Eleven. You're going to bring. I'm going to bring. You know, yeah, JC Penny. You're going to bring uh, the mall. <laughs> but I'll bring Target, I, I, I but not Walmart because that's woke. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting yeah. though that um it, this movie's kind of obviously like set in the modern in the modern era, which you know the class relations I think of Western movies. It yeah. seems like in every Western movie, everybody kind of owns a store. Like it's not just that there's like a middle class. Like it, they never show who's working at those stores besides you know the children of other people that might own stores or or <laughs> your own children. You know what I mean? Like but this movie kind of falls into a, an interesting place because there's like a huge staff of bouncers for whatever reason. Yeah. And they're all working at, at this bar. And when you go places like it's not just, I mean, they have the, the, the auto place where it's just the one guy working there that owns it. And you're like, Oh, that's another thing. Like with Westerns, like that's the guy that owns a store. This guy owns a store. This guy owns a store. And they're all kind of just going to each other's stores because that's the only ones in town. But then this movie kind of seems connected to the modern era because Ben Gazzara's character, obviously is bringing in the mall. He's bringing in JC Penny, like all of these things. People still have to work in those places, and he's kind of the last of one of these. It feels like kind of patronage patronage people. They kind of like are like the the, the uh, town boss or whatever. And it feels like they're kind of defeating the last of these like relics of of the Western era, like you know what I mean, or, or like the uh, like eighteen hundreds or something, yeah. um, all the way in the, in, in nineteen eighty nine, like. <laughs> Because like like uh, too like remember I was talking about Little House on the Prairie that that's kind of uh, the cornerstone of the the mythos of the Western in a way uh, of the whole everybody's either a yeoman farmer or petty bourgeois business owner yeah um, and, and if you really think about the Little House books they they kind of were that way uh, there, there's a whole book where Paul runs a store uh, most of the time he's petty bourgeois uh, business owner although he did work for the railroad in a couple of books and whatever those don't count. Well, we all know that the people really making the money in this town, though, would have been people making the glassware and making the tables because they didn't last long around this place. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the Just one doctor, doing... Kelly Lynch. <laughs> the guy who makes <laughs> one super hot doctor. Yes. <laughs> which which kind of has a perfect cue for me to bring up this uh, this clip that I wanted to introduce. Um, I don't know. I found this clip hilarious and I cut two clips together. One of them is a Bill Murray clip where he's talking about. So I guess Bill Murray um, calls Kelly Lynch's husband every time uh roadhouse is on tv and says and says uh like i don't know you you can watch it and it's, i'm not going to spoil it but this is kind of one of the funniest uh clips I've, I've i've pulled out for this came rich eisen right before drugstore cowboy okay. like literally i wrapped roadhouse went right into drugstore cowboy it was like such a funny were those in the movie theater at the same time pretty much yeah so one like, minute you're in Gus Van Zandt, another yeah, one. Two completely different fan sets. Although I do have <laughs> the ironic sick. Roadhouse yeah. people who love Roadhouse for the, you know, for the fun of it and that are also drugstore cowboy fans, but they're usually different groups of people. Right. But I, I like the crossover fans the best. How, what was it like on the set of Roadhouse? It was fantastic. I mean, it was one of the best times I've ever had. First of all, I mean, Sam Elliott and Patrick Swayze. 
Oh my I've heard gosh. nothing like the Patrick Swayze is the nicest guy the on nicest. planet Earth. Like he the was, sweetest, nicest guy. Everybody loved him. He was super funny. And you know, how many guys are ballerinas and quarterbacks you know, fo- played football? Because he you was know. he was Mr. Dirty Dancing already by yeah. the time that oh, yeah. he stepped on the yeah, set of Yeah, He was. And you know, just a, a really great athlete and and you know he kind of inspired me when I did Charlie's Angels. He did all of his own stunts and Cameron Diaz and I did all of our stunts except for one drop from a bell tower that they wouldn't let mm-hmm. us do, but we were like determined to do everything. And I watched Patrick work so carefully on his, all of his stunts and everything. And it was, it made it fun. That part of the fun of the movie is knowing that that's Patrick fighting as you know, mm-hmm. uh, Marshall Teague as well, as opposed to two stunt guys. Sure. Kelly Lynch here on the Rich Eisen show. And so it's on roadhouse is on probably right now. It is on somewhere right in like somewhere, Bucharest, right? somewhere in the world. Roadhouse is playing. Uh, yes. Everywhere. Somewhere. Is it true? The Murray brothers call your husband every time it's on or they see it every time it's on. Is that a true story? That is a true story. Can you explain this, the genesis of this story and um, how I, often it happens? Well, it started with Bill Murray. Uh, I think Bill was had never really seen Roadhouse all the way through and watched it one day years and years ago and came to the love scene. And basically what it was that upset him was that I was getting thrown against what looks like a very um, painful rock wall. Mm-hmm. And he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> exactly. That, and honestly, I did have quite a bit of padding behind me. I just okay. want to tell that to the fans. Yeah, I did. No, no blood was shed. Yeah, I am kind of hitting that wall and, and it, it does look painful. So he, he thought he should call my husband up and he disguised his voice, which never works because you can tell it's Bill Murray. And he was like, uh, Patrick's, hey, Patrick's Swayze is doing something with your wife on a, a rocky wall. You better <laughs> might want to turn your TV on. It was like, you know, so it was, we thought it was like a one-off. It was pretty funny. Uh-huh. And then it, it came to a time where we, he, he was like in Russia. And so the time difference was a little upsetting in LA. He calls my husband to say again. And then all of a sudden his brothers started calling. Like and Brian Doyle? Mark? Yeah. Uh-huh. There's about 30,000 Murray brothers. I was about to say. And there's a nun. So far she hasn't gotten involved, but <laughs> I don't know if she has a TV. So Bill Murray's sitting in Russia, turns yeah. his television on. And there I am. Roadhouse is on. Roadhouse is on. And he's still keeping yeah. this tradition going. Yeah, he is. He's doing it. And I, in fact, I'm watching Anthony Bourdain, who I love. I'm watching his show and mm-hmm. he's in Charleston and Bill Murray's on the show and they talk about it on things. <laughs> it's like, my God. While eating like frog's legs or something like something that. Something like or, that. Yeah. Roadhouse, vastly underrated film. You guys are both into Roadhouse? Such a great film. Sneezy. <laughs> what else do you need to know? <laughs> you can deconstruct this film forever. It, the more you watch it, the more mysteries unfold. I've never seen anyone enjoy Roadhouse more than I do. Uh, what? <laughs> My friend's wife, Kelly Lynch, plays the doctor that stitches oh, up yeah, Heather yeah. Swayze in the movie. Yes. She's the romantic interest, right? The unattainable yes. romantic interest. And I have, for the last, I don't know, probably about 25 years, called his home in the middle of the night and said, you don't know me, but your wife's getting slammed up against the wall by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> She's not putting up much of a fight. <clears throat> and then hang up. Legend. Holy shit. Why does his why, uh, why does Bill Murray disguising his voice sound like Stone Cold Steve Austin? Have you seen them in a room together? I mean, <laughs> you don't know me. 
Stone Cold Bill Murray. Sounds like it sounds like Garfield. It sounds like Garfield is calling you in the middle of the night, going, "You don't know me." This is actually creepier. You don't know me, but I hate Mondays. Your wife's on the wall. I knew that this is the kind of shit that would happen on a Monday. Fuck it. <laughs> oh, Kelly Lynch's husband was Mitch Glazer, who was a writer and, like, I guess, a uh, featured player in SNL and did Scrooge and a bunch of stuff. So, seems like he's probably a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Well, all right. So, that makes perfect sense why Bill Murray would, would be friends with him. There we go. You know. Got to the bottom of that mystery. Very but fun. yeah, I don't know. I just thought uh, that Andy just pointed out was Billy Bob Thornton's cousin, which connects him to John Voight. To yeah. bring it all back home to the planned bit at the beginning where we talk about right-wing Twitter people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I just thought that was a, a hilarious bit of random stuff that I found when I was um, trying to it do It is some sex scene, though. I mean, like, it's sort of like, what? Who? Okay. All right. Bill Murray seems like he has a lot of bits like that running at any given time. He must be very busy. Like, he constantly has to be calling <laughs> Roadhouse people and doing the they'll never believe you thing and, like... Washing the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Party. He's going up to Cubs games and just acting weird. He does a lot of well, that. There's that, there's that, Actually, there's that, one, there's that one story where um, after uh, after coffee and cigarettes... He um he would go around and he would go with Wu Tang Clan where like to, to a bunch of tequila bars or just to bars in general and he would start bartending at the bar with uh, ah, Wu Tang Clan. Uh, I fuck I have this story I don't know I don't know why this wire didn't cross immediately and go Bill Murray bar I fucking worked um at the bar in Austin where he did this he did this famously at South by Southwest and uh, I knew the guy who owned the bar I worked for like his other bar down the street but we'd all hang out there at Shangri-La and um, he went viral for going into this bar just going behind the bar the bar because no one will stop him because he's Bill Murray and just making margaritas and handing them out and stuff <laughs> and everybody thought it was hilarious and it like you know it was pretty popular and it got people to like go to the bar i guess but he didn't like i knew the guy who owned the place and uh he was furious because he didn't charge anyone anything because he didn't work there he didn't, like, <laughs> run the register <laughs> <or anything>. so, <laughs> when, when you were in gainesville did anyone bring up steve martin's history there no you I mean, he's not from there, but apparently he got his start there. They just loved him on the FSU campus and, and in the clubs around there. So he would do shit like uh, take everyone out after, you know, the whole audience out for like tacos after the show and shit like that. Like he was like that of Gainesville, Florida for a while when he was getting his start. Interesting. How do you have the money, how do you have the money to do that? Gainesville's cheap, man. Like I was doing Grubhub every day for like five dollars with tip, practically. Like Gainesville I, is where to go. I mean, there is something, uh, maybe some, something to gleam economically about this. Uh, if you want to make it in any of these weird businesses or petty bourgeois industries and shit, as uh, I like the Jake. I'm sorry, I'm reading this note at the bottom here. Um, it helps if you have investment to start up. That's what this whole fucking movie is about. This guy has all this mm. capital to front at this, to load, you know, the beginning, the startup process of this business is why he doesn't mind that he's like, um, 
uh firing people and all this crazy shit is happening well is he is he is he at the start of the business or is it just that he kind of came into some money and he's trying to clean up the business because it seems like at the beginning he's saying he's owned it for a while none of it adds up anyway but 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 bars and restaurants have like reboots like this all the time i mean it's you could consider this like a re-attempt at getting the ball rolling honestly the guy i was talking about there's three guys that own all the bars on east sixth in austin texas and uh it's they're small business bar owners they're kind of cool they're also kind of small business dickheads it's you know all like we were talking about earlier it's just kind of all of it at the same time uh one of them did the same thing he his his grift was honestly brilliant which is he hung out austin's a pretty small town he hung out in bars for a long time when he was a bartender and he i guess he had inherited a bunch of money and so he would tip like a maniac and just throw tons of money at like bartenders and stuff and everyone loved him because he he was just like wow this guy's just like really generous with his money right the plan the whole time was to start this brawl called the liberty which is on east 6th street it's still there it's very funny because east 6th street's been gentrified to shit so there's like yeah i was just just there and uh i was just i was just there for the first time in uh in may may and june if you go one of the the last shows we played in the before times uh like in february was on was a venue on east 6 actually now gone and like it's gone now but uh which is crazy it was a covid casualty but i was astounded at how much it changed just since last time we had played there because it was like holy crap and it was gentrified before i went i went (laughs) uh, i went and ended up I ended up uh, getting going out to like the outskirts of Austin with David Griscom, like because he moved back out there, and yeah. uh, and I ended up like hanging out with him and just like listening to him rant for like almost two hours about how much he uh, he hates gentrification in Austin. It was like <laughs> we were sitting there like having drinks, like he's like, no, 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 I got this. Anyway, they closed down this place. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, E6 is like particularly like visually ridiculous i i opened the the one of the bars on that street and back then when it was like still i mean honestly it wasn't really a great process to begin with because it was gentrification honestly like people hipsters out there like to pretend like no i'm from the east side like sure it's still still what's happening here did you, was did you start out did you start out in in, in austin originally or um, i i grew up where... in houston i started doing i went to moved to Austin to, uh, to go to college. I started doing stand up and working in the service industry there. And I basically got my service and start in the service industry on East six, but to get I, all the way back to what I was talking about was uh, uh, Liberty. All right. So it's very funny because they used to be the street was leveled as a poor neighborhood. The Liberty is literally like now high rise condo up to here bar this tall other high rise condo up to here. So it looks like a big fucking W or whatever, like, cause they won't sell the building. And it's insane. But the guy who started that, uh, he did it by by having a bunch of money to invest to begin with, by throwing all that money around at the bars and tipping until everyone was like, it's this fucking guy when he walks into the bar. <laughs> then when he opened his bar, he cashed in on all that, like, karma. You know you what I'm saying? And then his bar became, like, this huge service industry hangout. And it had this vibe to it where everyone's like, this guy's a great guy. But it's like, is he? He literally, like, purchased. Curried favor. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> actively. Yeah. So the big thing I, is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, that Steve say, Martin thing reminded me of that. Like the big thing, I don't know if it's happening in other cities, but in Chicago, it's like Mike, anyone who like opened up a microbrewery maybe 10 years ago, they're all selling their shit like at the United Center. They have pop ups in fancy neighborhoods. 
like all these, like I only drink microbrew types. Uh, they're libertarians for a reason because they don't want to pay fucking taxes. Uh, and yeah, it's you see like these these little taco joints, the white owned taco joints, mind you, um, now becoming like big places in Wrigleyville right by the stadium, which looks like the suburbs now. So like, yeah, the, the, the small business owner is only a small business owner because they haven't become a big business owner yet. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I asked Jake the question about um, coming, like coming from Austin is uh, it's interesting, you know, cause I, I was spent the first few years of my life in Brooklyn and um, now, I mean, now I'm upstate, like, you know, an hour and a half from the city, but like still I've gone back and forth to Brooklyn a lot. I went to Austin for the first time back in May during COVID and everything, but like, you know, COVID was kind of dying down and nobody in Texas gave a fuck. And I felt like, I felt like they had taken the same aesthetic in a lot of places like East sticks, like all these places in Austin, they kind of took the Brooklyn aesthetic and kind of created a playground in the parts of um, Austin for people from Brooklyn originally. So it was like interesting to, to make that jump. And, and I was wondering, you know, since you live in, in Brooklyn kind of now, like, is there, do you kind of sense that too? Um, yeah yeah there's a hundred percent like a pipeline like when i moved from austin here i just came to the neighborhood that i knew all of the bartenders and stuff who used to work in austin like there's just an exchange program <laughs> and honestly like the first one of the first businesses i worked at uh the east side showroom which is now closed was literally like they opened it in brooklyn and then their their whole business thing when they when they came to austin the way they advertised it was like famous cocktail restaurant from brooklyn from world famous brooklyn like it was this huge deal to try to basically export all of this stuff that was born in brooklyn that we all take for granted now like it's enough time has passed you kind of think oh you gotta go get a cocktail anywhere right but it used to be like all this like weird local sourced fine dining but a, a restaurant where you can get cocktails but your waiter has tattoos and stuff that was like an idea that was born in brooklyn and then people made a fucking killing by just going to any other city and going uh copy paste you know which is is what it is like people in the bar industry often would kind of uh kind of shit on like oh this is like you know like people would copy their cocktail programs like their menus from other restaurants in other cities which is inauthentic if you're into the artistry of creating cocktails which is something that i personally kind of appreciate but it's not like i mean this is just business who gives a shit you know that stuff i mean it, it spread like wild that's exactly what all that stuff is there and now it's everywhere and it's very like inauthentic but it's like screaming at you the entire time you're in a bar like this like i am authentic you know there's this new <laughs> thing where people like bulldoze a building and then rebuild it and then hire someone to come in and make the wood look old and stuff and like make it yeah. like yeah. like road like a roadhouse bar and to answer your question in the chat liberty lunch was downtown east austin used to be up until about uh, 15 years ago white people were afraid to go there so it was just the black and brown part of austin um and then you know gentrification and etc i don't know well i mean I live, so what I live, you're saying I live... is capitalism doesn't breed innovation <laughs> yeah sure yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so i so i live i live in in new Paltz, which is you know 90 minutes from the city everybody you know everyone in this area was originally from the city like i like not that many people are, are literally from this area the hudson valley because it's literally just like you know you, you travel up here and um even like here we get like the lazy, the lazy gentrifiers, which I don't, New Paltz can't be gentrified, but like, you know, still we get people from Brooklyn every once in a while. And they're like, here's a business that started out in Brooklyn. And it's like, 
yeah, I could travel fucking an hour and a half and just be there. I could take mm-hmm. a bus there. Like, why? Why do I? Like, so every 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 new business that opens up, like a bunch of them, they'll be like, this is this is our version of like a Brooklyn restaurant that exists. And it's like, okay. Oh, you're going right. to serve me my food on a, a rectangle piece of wood instead of a plate? Wow, you can't do that at home? Incredible. <laughs> it's funny, like, when people talk about Bush, uh, Bushwick being, like, uh, bougie and everything, because my first introduction was Bushwick Bill from Ghetto Boys. So I always thought, yeah. oh, Bush, I mean, Bushwick was a rough place. And now it's known for being, like, bougie. It's weird. East Austin, same story, man. I mean, people used to be afraid to go. It's insane because Texas is the side how we got off of Roadhouse and now we're talking about this. Texas, but, Texas Roadhouse. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but like it used to be gentrified straight down the middle by I-35, and like literally there was graffiti in the 70s. A professor I had at UT talked about this. There's a big fucking thing spray painted on the side of the, the bridge if you were going uh under i-35 to go to east austin it said like you are exiting the american dream and entering east austin it was fucking hardcore and then things just changed and a white person was like oh the rent's cheap over here start a bar and you know we could we could go in circles all day arguing about the morality of that when the the problem is you know the big under under i mean the new the newer the newer thing i I noticed in austin and i talked to people that were there is like the airbnbs like people just buy up like fucking developments Mm -hmm. and be like listen these are all airbnbs now which is the most immoral possible way because it's already immoral to be a landlord obviously like to own a property like obviously you can own one property and like you know subsidize the two properties or whatever and you have to still do other work but like already like being a real estate developer is highly unethical i think in general because you're buying up like you know, houses that could be used for other people. But to do that as an Airbnb and not even have like a tenant, like you're not even offering it to tenants. Now you're offering it to people that are just going to be there for a week and like trash it. I mean, (laughs) this stuff is terrible and it's ravaging, especially Austin. Austin might be the most fucked city in the country right now, just in terms of like the extent that all this stuff is happening to it. But I think it's also advantageous uh, probably for the people that are doing all this shit and the class of people that are doing all this shit to kind of like continue the narrative that these are like individual personal failings on people even when you're talking about realtors and stuff and not just like because that gets you away from like no wait we need laws you know that like stop yeah. this just from happening i mean you can imagine evil landlords all day but like if you it's an inevitability in the market like if you stop one person from doing this another person will show up and go oh i'm the person that does a, a evil but you ha- but if you have renters rights and things like you know rent control and basic standards then it's going to filter out some of the quote unquote evilness from people that are acting in self interest and i almost got a point in all right go ahead all right no 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 <laughs> say i you made me think of something but never mind I just I was just gonna say if we were able to reframe the debate to be that way rather than like all landlords suck yeah all landlords do suck but really needs to be about empowering the, the uh, people mm. that to think about things like renters' rights as just that rights that's what I was getting that's a good yeah. point well, it was be a long no time. but Sorry. so it, but it's kind of the same thing as I, I feel this way about like um you know Republicans in office a lot of times like there'll be someone that's just so terrible that they kind of get booted out and everyone's like wow we finally got the one person out it's the same way with like slumlords you know what I mean like. You, you push, like, all of a sudden, someone's just, like, the worst slumlord in town. And people all of a sudden now feel kind of complacent because they've pushed out. Like, that slumlord's kind of 
gone gone further than anybody else and it's like the the, the conversation about systemic issues gets distracted by that well you know what we, you know what can solve these systemic issues is if we hire the best cooler in the entire country <laughs> to come in and beat the shit out of them with his ballerina moves does any does anyone so I, has anyone ever, ever actually heard of a cooler as like a as like a job title like did they kind of semi invent this for for this oh no it's a real thing it, it, it's a real thing but it's it's used more often for gambling like for uh, mm -hmm. uh you want to um like if someone's on a hot streak or something along those lines in fact i think then they make like a this, this is a movie called the cooler that's like uh like i want to say it's it's either william h macy or the dude that looks just like william h macy i can't remember which one it is well but, cool, uh, maria bella cooler. and so on like it a cooler in a casino, yeah, is I mean, I think this is an entire it's a different using the same term for an entirely different thing. It's a different That's kind like, of job. If, if you're, there are real things, yeah. Go ahead. If know. you're if you're in a casino and you're like uh at a poker table, for example, that uh the casino like is allowed to hire someone who works for them to sit at the table, read everyone, and purposely fuck shit up so that you lose hands and stuff like that. To the extent that I think they got sued over this. Last time I was gambling, which is actually a few months ago in Vegas, uh, they had to put a thing up that says, you're allowed at any time to just ask, like, is there a cooler here? And they have to tell you, which is crazy. That Are you a cooler? Like, that if wild. you're a cooler, wow. you, you have to tell me. Yeah, it's crazy, but in but in Roadhouse, the cooler is like a like a manager of bouncers. They're very confused in this movie like about what security. a security. He's a bot. Like he, they hired him <laughs> yeah, to manage the right. bar. Yeah. Well, that, that's because this movie is actually about yeah, philosophy. Yeah, it's basically bar manager, but also bouncer. <laughs> I mean, I, I work for GTAA, so I, I'm an expert on this. You know. uh Closely, I've worked with Ben Burgess and maybe yeah. I was originally the I was originally the GTA cooler. Um, <laughs> I was I was I was managing the fucking show like the show uh whatever like uh like whatever segment by segment. I I could have been I could have been the cooler until they hired Patrick Swayze and he got rid of you. Yeah, own. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, they needed Patrick Swayze though for the uh for for, for the uh fight between um uh. Ben Burgess and, and uh, uh, Charlie Kirk there, you know, they just had this corpse just sitting there in the corner of the room for no reason. And that kept things cool. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't Patrick Swayze? All right. <laughs> they need the cleaner. As the as ghost. He was, he was actually in Whoopi Goldberg's body at the time. Banging <laughs> Demi Moore. There you go. Yeah, awkward. so it kind of this is kind of part of uh, Patrick Swayze's impressive run of of doing a whole bunch of movies like in a very short amount of time. Which you know, listening to him talk um, in different in different interviews, like he always seems like his time is really short. And I think it's because you know he was a dancer and then kind of like an action star, and like that has a, a expiration date. But then you realize like Patrick Swayze literally had an expiration date. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. he died so fucking young. I, I mean, it's not what just that like Patrick Swayze had this this moment, but then. All of a sudden, you have the new action hero with um, Jean Claude Van Damme and, and um, uh, 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 Steven Seagal kind of ushering in the, this kind of new era. And, and Patrick Swayze, you know, with this movie in particular, is very much like this could have been a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger film. Um, yeah. the, the, this is, is very much out of that kind of uh, action movie zeitgeist. And because he never quite, you know, um, 
I don't know. He just he just kind of disappeared. Yeah, like like right around that time. Is he the one that was drunk with the burger in that viral video? No, that, no, that, that was uh, that was that was uh, David Hasselhoff. Peter Sutherland. Oh. oh, oh no, no, yeah, that was David Hasselhoff with the yeah. burger. I thought Peter you meant, Sutherland. I got, like, Peter Sutherland was with the Christmas no, tree. No, that was yeah, a Christmas yeah. tree. Sorry, I that, that's where my mind. Yeah, no, that was Hasselhoff at the burger and his you, daughter. You, was you, you featured it on the on our horror night wrap up. I know. I heard. It? I heard drunk with the video, and then I and then I automatically the punchline. Germans um, love David Hasselhoff. No, David Hasselhoff was was drunk with a burger, and his daughter was feeling like she wanted to show him that his alcoholism had gotten really bad, and filmed him trying to eat the burger off the floor. Right. That right. burger looked good. <laughs> it looked like that's a the, big. That's the takeaway. Um, <laughs> Two seconds. Can you blame him? I wanted to get. I wanted to get Conan's um, opinion on this. I have a. Um, so Jeff Healy is the guy that um, was the, the the singer in this that's or the the guitar player and singer in this that was uh, had like a, a supporting start like a, a supporting role of of the kind of person that would have been which I guess they wrote a blind guitar player and then found one which is weird that they kind of wrote it from the start but There's also um, a lap steel if I remember correctly but uh, it's interesting because I feel like every time you know um, one of the most one of the most um, I guess. Uh, in, inaccurate or weird things about this movie is that everybody knows him as like as a bouncer that's been like a, a famous bouncer which is not a thing that ever exists like who the fuck goes oh we've we've heard about you from this place this place this place which is why it connects to western movies obviously like you know famous sheriffs like in texas there's like the most famous texas rangers the sheriffs which would make sense but in this it's like oh we've heard about your bouncer exploits which no one's ever heard about from anything that's not <laughs> the only famous bouncer is Blade from last night on Twitter. Did everybody miss this? It's like oh. <laughs> Pat. Sure. Uh, it's like Patrick Swayze is the Bass Reeves of bouncing. You know, it's like the, he's the white Bass Reeves. But then they also heard Lone Ranger. Let's just say Michael Jordan. I, I get that reference. They also heard about like Wade. Like you know what I mean. Like so they've heard about Wade and him. So there's two famous bouncers that everybody's heard of. Yeah. Wade he comes in and they're like. Wow, Wade Garrett, everybody! Like, <laughs> so I don't know. So this is this is the uh, this is the Jeff Healy um, interview that they did right before the movie came out, and I wanted to get Conan's opinion on the music. Wondered why is it that men go to bars, you know, and get away from their wife and kids or whatever, and go to bars, and if 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 the the stuff doesn't break out. If fights don't break out by midnight, they start fighting between themselves because there's something in their inside they have to release. I think I decided that, that I wanted to do Dalton and Roadhouse. Well, number one, I love the premise. It's like a modern day Western, you know? And, and who would care about the life of a bouncer in the first place? But the twist was a bouncer with a degree in philosophy. <laughs> We just lucked out finding Jeff Healy and uh, being a blind guitar player, plus finding a Jeff Healy with a great deal of talent. The script called for a, a young blind guitar player uh, in a blues rock band who played flat on his lap. And uh, so we were quite amazed. And, uh, and after some... Uh, investigation found it it wasn't you know as purely coincidental as it seemed as the writer for the book was from toronto and had seen the band a couple of times 
So sort of what goes around comes around. It worked out very nicely. The guy's been working his brains out in Canada for his whole life. Now all of a sudden his career, I mean, even before Roadhouse has come out, so, you know, he's like passing the test. Uh, it's not just because of a movie that this guy's music is happening, it's because of him as an artist. I still, I think all three of us really are going to you know, have a hard time believing that we did it until we walk into the movie theater and see it. Thanks, man. So you played pretty good for a blind white boy. Yeah, and I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> It's so amazing that like the blind guy recognizes Patrick Swayze immediately by voice in a loud and noisy bar. That's so amazing. To me. I love it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, but, hear my, I hear my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but so let this kind of ties into last episode uh, that we did with uh, Chris Murphy from Sloan uh, for the Scott Pilgrim about him being the guy that basically made these non musicians look like they knew how to play their instruments, right? In this case, like having a band leader not only that does know how to play, but knows how to play that style of music pretty well, let alone in like kind of a weird and idiosyncratic way that makes it for a better film. Like you wouldn't believe that everyone's, you know, let's fight them spotting words in this roadhouse. If not for this blues rock going, there has to be some, you know, kind of like, blue. but it's, and Andrew, it's not a slide guitar. He actually just learned to play uh, with it flat. Like that's just how he learned to play, which is kind of interesting too. Know, but seen, that was actually like really good for his career. I've seen a lot of folk shows. Uh, like I went to used to go to bluegrass festivals and hang out with the punk midgets. I don't know how this always happened, um, but but uh, uh, th there was a. Um, uh, I, I just remember like like a lot of these bluegrass people with like these big uh, steel guitars played on their laps. Lap like steel. That. It's a lap. It's a different instrument. Okay. It's a completely different instrument. It's way more expensive, uh, and as I could get into the vagaries of why it's not really what this show is, but basically. What he does by by playing guitar, slide guitar, laying down, it's similar-ish to a lap steel, but it's not the same thing. It's a slightly different range. It's different intonation. There's a major difference in price tag. Uh, but that said, like this dude is like well respected uh, before this, and this kind of like Roadhouse actually like put him onto a, a next level uh, to a certain degree for I don't know the, the shitty Roadhouses in Missouri of the world, uh, but <laughs> like. He has had a pretty legit career. Also, if I remember, I think he's Canadian. I think he's a Canadian dude, which I think is doubly hilarious. Well, they said he, they said he's from Toronto. Um, yeah. And um, but yeah, I, I don't know. So I thought that was interesting that he's kind of like live, kind of live music playing um, throughout this movie. You know what I mean? Like it's like they they went they went deeper than they would have. Uh, I feel like then they should have even <laughs> not, not, not saying that. Well, they, they give him a lot of airtime because he's, he's good on the screen. Right. And like, because yeah. like, you know, he, no, he's like, 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 he's almost a like, character you know, actor. without being. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying like, um, doing, doing the, the amount of research that it takes to actually get like a live band to be in this movie. I feel like it's almost, um, you know, more like, like more, more research than I would have assumed that they would have done or more, you know, more of an authentic thing that they would have assumed that they would have done. Yeah. It's definitely. And, cooler. And again, it's cooler than if they had depicted this bar more accurately, which 
if you've ever been to bars like this, it's like uh, sad ass jukebox. It's a jukebox playing like <laughs> I've got friends in low places over and over yeah. and over yeah. again and achy breaky heart and shit and like bad yeah. karaoke happening. Yeah. Um. So I guess a uh, 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 last three times is dirty. <laughs> yeah. So before, before I go to before I go to uh, final thoughts for everybody because I told Conan that we could you know we could watch um we could watch the this is revolutions having Sam Cedar on so I think I I'm I'm thinking about I don't know if I don't know if you're down for this Conan but I was thinking about um watching it live on a Twitch stream after this and like just starting a, another <laughs> Twitch stream if you wanted to do that um but. I wanted to do the uh, to do the the letterbox things because I think that's always like one of the most fun yeah, absolutely that we do. So I have it right here. Let us begin. Oh well, to explain it to Kenzo and Jake, I guess. Yeah. Um, we we've been yeah, doing we've been doing this segment. We've been doing this segment where Conan finds um one sentence reviews from Letterbox. Uh, you guys both know Letterbox, right? Like it's the uh, you know you yeah and you yeah. So Conan's been finding one one sentence reviews like the the you know. The pithy ones or the like inter like the funny ones and he'll so he, he goes through a bunch of them that he's found and uh we kind of rate them or comment on them but all right start the ones i like the best the ones that make me laugh whatever ones i think might be good on the show um so yeah there you go this is the bit <laughs> letterbox a place for film all right as someone who lives in missouri <laughs> this happens way too often that's nathan jones everybody. That's this whole funny. movie, or just like yeah, that's hilariously vague. I mean, this yeah, is that's... you see this a lot. It's very funny, but there's a funny thing you could do on Letterbox with almost any movie, which is just go, "Yeah, same thing happened to me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's almost a running day. Yeah, you're right, but <laughs> that's funny. It, it, it works funny for time. me, especially for this one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I saw somebody yeah. do that on Malignant a while back. It made me laugh really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more the more absurdist the movie, the better that line is. <laughs> All right, now we're going to the next one. <laughs> Shit kicker Yojimbo by Jake Eisger, everybody. Well, only one star. back to what y'all were talking about earlier. Yeah. He's wrong. No, no stars, just a heart. Oh, oh. How, you can really do it with no stars. They always some try people to don't review. Some people don't. Yeah, that's how you know that that person. Like, some people start. don't actually like rating. I I don't I don't like rating. I just so that's not me. To. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. I I, I kind of feel so too. But some people like are. No, I took the I took the blue pill on this one. Okay, whatever. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, I, I on the floor. That's I found the review, not me. On, on the floor, I found a blue pill. I took it, and you know. <laughs> oh, Viagra! I've got weird. <laughs> this movie was sponsored by Big Knife. Knives have never looked cooler. Man, I these squires. I was thinking about this when I watched was watching this. I made a note of it. There are so many knives in this movie. It's set in a so reality where every, maybe this is just I'm not from Missouri or something or from the country, really. But everyone ha like you had to assume in any fight someone was going to bust out a knife and they might have it in the toe of their shoe. Also, very cool. And then that kind of dropped <laughs> off and it went to fists. And then the climax third act of the movie guns. So things were well, I, I feel like you can't have guns the whole time, right? Like someone could just kind of pat you down and be like, yo, don't come in here. You have a gun. And then, you know, like it's kind of an impasse. I feel like knives are kind of the middle ground as, yeah. as they found out in the UK when not that many people have guns, all of a sudden the knives start coming out. It's like, they have to, cause what are they going to do? They're going to do the sheriff thing. The, the, you know, the, the Western thing where everyone has a gun at their holster and then everyone's just kind of pointing guns at each other in a bar. Like 
the knives made it far more interesting. Yeah, it could have been like, I'm the cooler. It's compromised. Hey, now you're dead. That would have been the yeah. movie. Exactly. I'm the cooler and I got 10 minute movie. I got and like I got the it. first gun that came out, a guy had it like in his ankle so that he could sneak it past. This all tracks. This makes sense. <laughs> Today I'm selling microwave and watch this glorified episode of Bar Rescue like the adult woman that oh. I am. <laughs> so March. I, <laughs> I watch a lot of bar rescue and yeah except for the part where they caught the guy pocketing the money this is not bar rescue <laughs> well i mean kind of technically it is because the guy is trying to save his bar it's rehabbing uh, you know. it through the whole time i mean you know yeah. they, the, the, they took down the chicken wire from in front of the stage they put up those nice neon lights they, they painted the walls and like like you see it happening in stages it's really it really is bar rescue. I think I think I agree with with Joe March here because like one of the yeah it's very subtle. At one point he just shows up and they're all wearing uniforms. This is where I kind of stopped liking him as it's it seemed like that was his idea. Like we're all gonna wear khaki pants and red shirts and that fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, the bar, bar the rescue bar. does that stuff all the time too. He totally, the, bar I know. That I, the bar that I worked at as a bouncer, everyone had to wear a red staff shirt, and I wonder if it's taken from. It was like a staff shirt that said the name of the bar and like whatever information on it. But like, I, I wonder if that's taken from Roadhouse. Maybe. Why I mean, no they one ever told me Target? Nope. Yeah, I was going to point that out. <laughs> Tar- Target uniform. <laughs> Why no one ever told me middle-aged Sam Elliott looked like some hot country version of Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, a lot like, so you can make a joke with a lot like, uh, you know, the people that come into Target. It's like, you know, middle-aged like cougars like coming in to fucking harass you at work. Like the same thing with uh, you know, wearing a wearing a red staff shirt. Yeah. And wait, so is Sam Elliott the cougar here? We have no time. Moving I mean, on. I, I, I lost <laughs> the path on that one. But no, no, nothing. To, no, I was talking about the red staff shirts and the Target thing, not that actual, not not the review. Never mind. Honestly, Sam Elliott though, at this age in this movie. Very hot man, very yes. cool guy. Yeah, yes. not, not in this, not in this specific part that I grabbed. <laughs> Those are not. I don't know about guys. y'all, but this movie is my Thanksgiving tradition. That's Adam loves bad movies. I mean, it's you know a lot of people, a lot of people uh, grab Die Hard for that too, right? Like that's another kind of eighties movies that people people watch on on Thanksgiving a lot of times. I thought that was a Christmas movie. That was the whole. Thing. It, it is well, too. I mean, yeah, it marks the beginning of the Christmas season. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Uh, Damn, even the director's name is Rowdy. <laughs> even the director's name is Rowdy. There we go. That's better. That's Harris Meyerson. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they put the emphasis on the wrong. Because I feel like it's even the director's name is Ra- like I don't know, maybe not. Maybe maybe I fucked that up. But yeah, even the director's name is Rowdy. Is that oh, I see what they did there. Yeah. Uh, I see you found my trophy room, Dalton. The only thing it's missing is your ass. It's your ass. He delivered that line so well. I wrote that down on a piece of paper. The Arboleta is that. This is the straightest movie I've ever seen. Like it's so hetero. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like the Top Gun thing where uh, what, his name Ice. Like, <sighs> there's really there's yeah it's very Top Gun ish. There's no there's very few women in this movie. There's one black guy, I think, the entire film is, is pretty much everyone is a white dude, and they're all very angry and probably turned on at the same time. Well, I mean, it's, it's, and then there's a really beautiful doctor, the female, very beautiful female doctor yeah. in the small town. 
Yeah. She's great, but she's like the entire represent. Well, actually, okay, there's women, but they're like these yeah. bizarre there's props. The one thing Gazar is abusing. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's drug, there's drug dealer woman. There's the one that comes in when you know that works at the bar that that's apparently good at singing, but also kind of weird that he's not trying to fuck. There's the doctor. There's you know, it's like three uh, yeah, women. There's like time. slutty lady who who um uh, takes off her clothes for no reason on stage. Yeah, I would watch an entire spinoff sitcom about the server that's also sings in the band. Sometimes I was thank you because I was gonna bring we pivoted away from the music thing almost immediately into more nonsense and like <laughs> i found that scene which i never paid attention to maybe the first five times i saw it is like oh she just like why okay because that scene doesn't really need to be there but like i wonder if it's just like she really wanted to do it and like rowdy was like yeah go on go on girly that's how i assume it this guy talked. let me sing i'm <laughs> so good at singing oh man so good no, she's she has a heart of gold, and she, yeah. she doesn't even understand that she could do something better than be a server. I I love her. Yeah. She's like it's a duffy. it's a cool scene, but I just for a, for a movie that makes so many puzzling decisions about so many puzzling things, that is one that I kind of fixated on last time. I'm like, that's trippy. That like they never picked that up as an arc or anything. It's just like a thing that happens. And I bet like, the okay. original cut of Roadhouse is like nine hours long, and they had to cut out all this shit. <laughs> I think her entire character arc ended before sam elliott even was on screen yeah two movies roadhouse I, I like should be too. a trilogy there should be three roadhouses there's a there's a second oh, right? died there's, i didn't, I know, didn't know that, that. Yeah, yeah i didn't know he died either um i didn't see it coming uh, <laughs> uh, sorry <laughs> oh, God. come on <laughs> please please we're talking about roadhouse please too soon, too soon andrew come on <laughs> all right well starting with jake we're gonna go through these final thoughts uh final thought on this or or some some meditation on philosophy but, you know. <laughs> oh man i mean that's a ridiculous question but it's kind of not though i mean that's this movie is kind of it's film man i think you were right with the western thing and it's got it's got something going on, and he's trying to say something with his philosophy. Yada yada yada. It's about Western liberalism, and it's you know one of the last movies that I mean, movies that embody that sort of stuff like get more and more ridiculous over the span of the history of film because that is the American dream is absurd and starts to look dumber and dumber in contrast with the reality that we live in right old westerns are like at the beginning of everything and they're kind of mythologizing like this is gonna work and now to retell this individualistic nature of a of much of a story you know it gets dumber and dumber and dumber until it's well, it kind of it kind of feels like it's at the end of something too right like the ben Gazzara, like you know political boss or town boss villain kind of feels like he's at the end of this long cycle of, of towns kind of being controlled by people like this and he's like you know he brings in jc penny and he's like he, he's connected to this era of like you know the, the late 80s but at the same time like it, it feels like he's kind of the last one of those like he's a ridiculous yeah. person he's like swerving around in his car he's like singing fucking shaboom da, 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 the clue <laughs> like you know what i mean like he's so he's kind of feels like he's fucking a, a ridiculous uh caricature almost he's like he's like almost nice at some weird points like you know what i mean uh, like, yeah i mean i guess i'm always confused by these movies because i'm like why was the 80s 
producing nothing but movies that were hyper aware of the evils of like high high level corporate capitalism and yet at the same Doing time everyone thing. was voting for ronald reagan and shit and like all of society was seemingly in opposition to this message that they were trying to send to me it's like a that a okay hollywood isn't everyone so it's just one voice it's not this isn't it's not like america made this movie hollywood made this movie but also uh like it's feckless like it's like uh this is a story that makes you feel good but everyone that watched roadhouse didn't also go out and do class war after this and try to change the world we just sort of watched it and it's a story we tell ourselves that sort of like numbs the pain as everyone slides into the incinerator of the end of the millennium right so but that's all that's fine because that's all movies are supposed to be i to me that's where my galaxy brain went when i watched it but it's also kind of fun it, it's 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 fun also even nihilistically to watch a film like this and just the other thing kind of unrelated that's not that deep that i just wanted to say about this movie incredible dialogue nothing but zingers okay. that are very yeah. funny that are the types of shit you might even say drunk to your friend in a bar about like that that woman's got how's she got so much brains to have that much ass or whatever the fuck <laughs> sam elliott says hilarious i love it that's why i think it's a classic movie anyway. i like um i my, my favorite back and forth in the movie is uh and maybe it's because i'm a little more intellectual on this no but like i like when he walks in he's like he's like are you an honest man or something and he's like yes i am and he was like you think i should believe you that's my yeah. favorite back and forth in the whole movie because it's just like okay sure this Got is me. He, also, <laughs> he also drops he also drops that one line where he's like he's like the money will put me back in the good grace of the church and he's like funny how money always seems to do that and it's like this guy is a little bit too I don't know. This is like a character that's like purposely oh, the, giving out like these wise, self-aware Western. Uh, oh yeah, the, like. <laughs> the wise farmer, great character, and he represented all this stuff in the grand, you know, story here. But um, but it kind of reminded me of like Barfly or something, where like almost every oh, line yeah. of dialogue has like yeah. these really great like you know, no one actually talks like that, but yeah, but uh, but there's a reason, I, especially a lot of those lines I think are why this exists in the zeitgeist of like bar workers, like forever, forever in bars, people will be saying you know these ridiculous things to each other about uh i i fucking wish i could pull one up right now i wrote a bunch the one i wrote down was the one that's missing is your ass but you know but point being that 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 i think that stylization helps it continue into like posterity or whatever great film fucking rules 10 stars <laughs> all right uh kenzo let's let's hear it uh well first i want to say pain don't hurt um yeah, baby commitment think, to the bit yeah I, yeah I first came up with the idea of having this tattoo when i was in this full-time psych program where it's dialectical behavior therapy where like you discover things that trigger you from past traumas but instead of like saying oh you triggered me you know you're you're whatever is you figure out ways to work your way through it so you can live your life and when i was in one of my group sessions i brought up this movie i'm like pain don't hurt like we go through a lot of pain, but we could figure out ways to make it not hurt and like kind of uh, use the skills that we got from past bullshit that happened to us. Um, but, you know, going back to the film, um, I don't have much deep to say about it, but I really wish there were films like this made again where it's ridiculous and hyper self-aware. But what we do, we have now are things like Sharknado, 
snakes yeah. on a plane where it's just so over the top and ridiculous. It's not even, it's just it's not oh, even yeah. wrong, the wrong kind of self-aware, like the self-aware that it's a piece of shit and therefore decides to be a piece of shit, which I well, just gotten, we've gotten too self-aware. Kind of I mean, in some sense we've gotten too self-aware, right? Like we're, things are in conversation with other things that are in conversation with other things. And it's like, it's gone too far at this point. Like, cause the self-awareness a- has become self-aware. Yeah, well, I think look at uh, look it up. Yeah, no, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Fast I'd say Fast and Furious is like the modern thing that's kind okay. of walking this line. But it, you're right, it's like in short that. supply. But like we could I, use I, more films like and not just sequels to that one. Like because right. I love that shit. Like medium budget, but good acting, um, good set design, shit like that. So like they actually put some care into the film. Uh and you know, like the dialogue is good. Like, I feel like we're really missing that. Either you have something that's ridiculously over the top or a Marvel movie. And, you know, I miss kind of the movie. Wait, those things are mutually exclusive? Hmm. <laughs> Wait, well, the Marvel movies are just not, I mean, maybe I haven't seen enough of them. They don't seem very self-aware. It's like. Well, there's no, there's no middle class for filmmaking. Is mm-hmm. what you're trying to say. Well, no, there is, I think, though. And it gets put on <laughs> streaming. It gets put on streaming sites. You know what I mean? Like. That's kind of where, where we're at with that, which the budgets are not as, you know. But with the lever of cultural movie. ubiquity that like Roadhouse has yeah. and continues to have, no. I mean, that's just, that is, it's, yeah. let's like, put it, not that it, I can it, think of off the top of my movie. head. Yeah, that yeah. fell out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, like that's the my regular thought class. Is, like, bring back this shit. Uh, you know, the time has come. Put them in movie theaters, not just on streaming services. Um, and then put all the Marvel movie people into gulags. My final and have it in Kenzo's desk by Monday morning. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, Conan. Conan. Well, that's gonna say big knife, <laughs> three inch. Yeah, this would not make it into Roadhouse. <laughs> I was gonna say it's got it's got to be a perspective thing. Uh, Dylan, Andy, get the final word. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Um, look. I have a tendency to wax poetic and, and get sort of uh long kinds of thing. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I just think this movie kicks ass. Honestly, like there's very few movies. I can say that it's badass in almost every way and completely absurd at the same time. Uh, I consider this a highly watchable film, meaning there's plenty of films like, like I love come and see. I love Requiem for a dream, but watching those, uh, freaking drag man because they're meant to like break your soul and they're great films in the fact that they achieve that goal but roadhouse is awesome man it's just an awesome film it's preposterous but it's also badass and that that's a fine that's a fine type of movie and i think we should have more of those for sure all right andy i find it fascinating that way this movie never lingers on the female form but it's always on Patrick Swayze's perfectly oiled body the entire time. Um, <laughs> it, it's really strange that that uh, you know the movie with this much nudity would just spend so much time on, on Patrick Swayze's body. Um, I, I uh, you know I liked I liked seeing Patrick Swayze's ass after seeing so much of uh, Kyle, Kyle like Kyle McClellan's Kyle ass or whatever. And, and Kyle McLaughlin, after every fucking David Lynch movie that we've watched recently, and Showgirls, Showgirls, you see, you see fucking Kyle McLaughlin's ass in every single fucking uh, movie that we've watched. I feel like in the last month, and you know, finally, Patrick, finally, some delicious, some delicious fucking food. 
You also see <laughs> Sam Elliott's pubes in this movie, <laughs> which was surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty jarring. Surprise. Yeah, got, it, it's almost I've like, like there has this female gaze of the film, which um, uh, always reminds me of whenever I saw uh, Universal Soldier in the theater, and the uh, woman yeah. in front of me would have to fan herself every single time, like you know, Van Damme would strip down, and uh, that air conditioning scene, she lost it. Um, she was just, oh my god. <laughs> um, thank goodness but, we but, barred all female type people from being on this episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I just found that 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 you know that's the one like fascinating thing about this movie, which means like like unlike most action films, it actually has a large female fan base. Like like uh, there are plenty of women that that actually really enjoyed this movie, and I think partly because you know it's almost like it's it's a movie for men. But made with the woman's gaze, almost I guess you could say, um, which makes this movie even more fascinating. Whenever you th you think about it that way, um, uh, and, and uh, secondly, I just um, want to be serious for one quick second here. Um, uh, it's uh, today is Eric Treston's birthday. Um, he uh, committed suicide uh, two years ago, and um, I only found out about his passing this past summer. So I just want to say. Uh, in honor of Eric Dresden, if you're having a tough time, reach out to somebody. We're all here for you. All right. Well, that's a great note to end on. Um, you know, thanks for all being on here. Um, it was it was it was good to talk about this. It's interesting that we're gonna do a part two because I feel like we said so much in this one. But um, you know, I'll I'll definitely come up with. We'll with bring on the women. Today. I was gonna say yeah. there's not there's <laughs> only X chromosomes on this one though. So yeah. <laughs> I feel I guess, like it, it wasn't female gaze. I feel like it was gay man's gaze. When you have a lot maybe, of yeah, male gaze. nudity like that, like it's still uh, male objectification and stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe this is for <sighs> someone else to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The original no, no. title for Brook, Brokeback Mountain was Cowboy Gaze. Cowboy really? Gaze. <laughs> oh. All right. I'm so, oh, so gullible. Right before that sounds like a good band name, though. There you go. Right before we jump to to the end of this, um, I should plug that tomorrow we're doing Blue Bel Blue Velvet. Speaking of Kyle MacLachlan and speaking of David Lynch, Anna Kasparian is going to be on. I'm really excited for that. That's going to be a you know huge, huge, huge guest. But um, thank you everyone for 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 Thursday is Dune, right? Thursday's Dune, and then Saturday's this again. Really going all in with the streaming, and then Friday. Um, I, th I think Jake's gonna be there too. Um, Cole James Cash is having his show in uh, right. in, in, in yeah, in, in Brooklyn with Jamie Peck and him uh, DJing, which should be a very interesting thing to witness. And I'm excited to witness that. Um, but also, I haven't left my house much lately, so that you know, I'm excited to witness really anything. But there we so go. Take it with a grain of salt, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.